You know, in the neighborhood I grew up in, some of the children could be cruel, and they would, uh, in trying to tease others, they would say, well, you were adopted, as if it was some lower level of existence. Now, remember, these are children, right? And the facts are, though, that adoptive parents willingly and joyfully choose to bring another child into their family, to be a part of their family. And adoption obviously comes at great expense of time and and money and, and effort. And I would think if one were comparing all the varying contexts in which a a child grows up in, adoption would have to be near the top of the list for children to feel secure because you have parents who willingly take a child in. I mean, I've yet to hear a child being called a mistake by adoptive parents. Right? Now, from a legal standpoint... An adopted child has all the rights and privileges of one naturally born into a family. And so an adoption should be a witness that parents willingly and gladly welcome that child into the family. And even though legally it's true that an adopted child is in the family, is welcomed, subjectively, some children don't always feel that way. And this is true even for natural-born children. But in human relationships, we can feel a sense of rejection, and particularly an adopted child, if they think of the natural-born parents not keeping them. But even parents, and as we heard the stories, can be very brave in doing so, wanting the best for their child to put them in another situation. My point is, even though a child can be placed in a loving family, and, and even though these are uh, parents that truly, you know, can choose that child, love that child, many children still feel unwanted. I mean, why is that? How is that that a, a child can feel unwanted when parents willingly and joyfully receive them? They don't feel apart. And the fact is, is that many people live in light of how they feel in these situations, and and they don't care about the relationship to reality, the fact that the parents really do love them and care for them and willingly receive them. That's kind of denied. They just go by whatever they're feeling in the moment. And when, when subjective feelings undermine the facts, undermine reality, what can take place? Well, then we live under fear, we live under rejection, insecurity, a host of other unhealthy perceptions. Now, this becomes a very practical thing, I think, because people, no matter how you have entered the world or who your parents were, natural born or adoptive, people can sometimes feel like that they got the short end of the stick, right? And when you feel like you're starting off with a deficit, for whatever reason, then what that does, it it can promote often in our relationships escalation, blame, withdrawal, because there's always this deficit. There's always this, I gotta, you know, I gotta make sure that I'm I'm constructing my relationships where I'm not gonna get hurt. 
Or if I do get hurt, that I let everybody know about it. Now, feelings themselves are not wrong. It's when the feelings don't match with reality that it can be a problem. I mean, you remember in grade school or even in junior high where maybe you liked somebody, you know, you wanted to let them know, and you thought they liked you only to find out that, you know, they didn't know you existed. You had these feelings, but they weren't confirmed, right? Feelings are just kind of like receptacles. They're, they're responders to what we believe about ourselves or what we think others believe about us. And if we believe or perceive the wrong things, how's that going to impact our feelings? I would suggest that parenting is God's laboratory to help us communicate his unconditional love to our children. It's a a ready-made setting, context, where God's unconditional love can be communicated. In a 1952 story, there is in New York City about a probation officer who tried to find an organization to assist a 12-year-old boy to get adopted. And although the child had had a uh, religious background, none of the major denominations would assist him. Later, the officer said that his case had been reported to me because he had been truant. I tried for a year to find an agency that would care for this needy youngster. Neither Catholic, Protestant, nor Jewish institutions would take him because he came from a denomination they did not recognize. I could do nothing constructive for him. Well, listen, if the principles of Christian love had prevailed in the Bronx in 1952, maybe a good home could have been found for this young man. He was mixed up. In fact, maybe even history could have been changed. That man was Lee Harvey Oswald. I would suggest to you that being adopted has its advantages. It has its advantages. Consider the adoption that we have into God's family. Because the Bible says that for all Christians, they have been adopted into the family of God. In fact, this word is used six times, adopted, throughout the New Testament. And I would say that the adoption of a child here on earth is a great picture of God's love for us. Turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. Galatians 4. I want to read a passage here that addresses our topic. It says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child is no longer is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Here, Paul clearly states the inferiority of the law in comparison to the grace that we receive from God in Christ. 
People often rate their relationship with God based on merely performance. And what they end up doing is living under what the Apostle Paul says here is bondage or slavery. And they are stuck, as the passage says, in a spiritual infancy. They're still a child. They're not maturing, being on this, you know, hamster wheel of performance. As long as I do my performance, then God's going to love me. And that is a wrong way of thinking. For the teenager of the first century, adulthood was not given when you killed your first deer or, you know, when you first got your driver's license. It was given when the guardian in the home, kind of like a a family cook, family tutor, when the guardian in the home released you. You were no longer under the guardian. You were free from the, the parent's guardian. Paul is communicating that those Jews who had come to Christ, some of them are still living under the law. They were like a child who had not yet been freed from their guardian. They had not yet come of age. They were still not maturing. Still under the bondage yet to be set free. Notice verse 3 applies as illustration in the same way. We as Jews are just like the child that I just described. And so he says, I'm going to tell you of a better way. I'm going to tell you of a way which you can have freedom, one that's not in bondage. And in verse 3 he says, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. See, the Galatians thought that this life, this Christian life with God was experienced only through obedience to the law, this conforming standard. They thought that the law was the measuring stick for the Christian life. Now, some of us here may be unfamiliar with the Old Testament law. You said, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, because if you just extrapolate out in terms of our performance and relating that into our relationship with God, many of us grow up in institutions, in religious organizations in which you had to, you had to abide by a certain code a certain subcultural standard that each church had, and as long as you abided by that standard, it may have to do with your dress, it may have to do with who you date, it may have to do with the movies you watch or whether you drink or didn't drink, but what they would do is throw on top of Scripture these extra rules, and if you abided by the rules, you were in. If you didn't, you were out. And it made people a slave. They weren't free. Because the measuring stick was not what God was doing in the hearts. It was these extracurricular laws that were added. And when performance alone measures our relationship with God, it's described as in in bondage. If that's the foundation, then you're living in bondage. It's, It's elementary, Paul says. So he switches attention. To Christ, And he says in verse 4, the fullness of time has come. In other words, Christ was right on time. You see, despite the efforts of Satan to snuff out this baby through a wicked ruler, despite the frontal assault of Satan in a desert to tempt Jesus, to keep him from fulfilling his calling and 
end up in Jerusalem on a, on a cross. Despite the constant demands by the multitudes, Jesus was right on time. The predetermined time had arrived for Jesus to do what he did. Fit God's plan perfectly. And then God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And here we see the complete deity and humanity of Jesus in one sentence. Being a son, Christ had all the characteristics of his heavenly father. And that's why Hebrews 1.3 says that he was the exact representation of God's nature. That's not said of anybody else. But he also was born of a woman. So this shows that Christ was completely human as well. He entered the world through the birth canal, and he lived and breathed and was tempted just like any other man. So it was necessary for Christ to be completely God in order that he might satisfy the righteous demands of God, but it was also necessary for Christ to be completely human in order that he might represent humanity on the cross. See, that's, those are important facts to understand and know that the sacrifice of Christ was sufficient for all of us to be accepted by God. Not based on our performance, but based on who Jesus Christ is and the work that he did. And then listen to verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Redeem is a uh, a word used to buy back. It was often used of slaves that were sold on the slave market, and they would be bought, and some of them were even given their freedom after they were purchased. And in this case, Paul is saying, we were bought out of slavery to sin, so that we might become free in God's family. Now, Christ redeemed us not just from something, not just from the law, but he redeemed us to something, from something to something else. We are redeemed from the law in order to be adoptive sons and daughters, children of God. And verse 6 says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We're no longer treated as slaves, no longer just relegated to the spiritual crumbs from the tutelage of the law. Now we are admitted greater freedoms, greater privileges as part of the family. We are adoptive children. And as such, we enjoy a special relationship, intimacy with God. And what I want you to see here is that we have these things that are true from a theological sense and even from a, from a legal sense in terms of our standing with God, this adoption, but it gives us, it's supposed to give us a truly subjective experience to where we cry out, Abba. In other words, we're to feel this sense. We're to not just to know it here, but we're to, we're to feel the love of God that it resonates in our hearts. And that we can enjoy this intimacy at a level that's not just intellectual, but experiential. So that we're crying out, Papa, Abba. 
You see, you can be married, you can have the position, you can have all of the privileges granted that one should experience in a marriage of having spiritual, emotional, physical intimacy, but every married person knows you don't always experience that. Every married person knows that there are seasons in which you wane, in which that's not experienced. You may even be at odds with one another, even though you're married, even though you have all the privileges of that, but you don't experience it. And it's the same thing in our relationship with God. See, he wants us to feel his love. And we're to live in light of that knowledge of his unconditional love so that our hearts are filled up with that knowledge so that the deficits that we felt from this world or from religious systems that we were in or from past hurts, they don't keep us in bondage. See, we don't have to run around feeling slighted by family and friends. We don't have to live that way. We don't have to remember all of the wrongs that were done to us. We don't have to demand that others get in line and do exactly what we want them to do for us in order for us to feel wanted. We don't have to keep others at a distance to keep from getting hurt. We don't have to prescribe to some religious programs, some, you know, praying prescribed prayers or going through steps, when our hearts cry out, Abba, Father, the truth of God's love for us, that reality meets our hearts, and we are free, we are whole, and we are satisfied in him. You say, well, you don't understand the home I was in. You don't understand the abuse I had the physical abuse. You don't understand the emotional abuse. My mother never loved me. My father never loved me. And what I'm telling you is, yes, that matters. And yes, that is hurtful. And yes, that is painful. But God brings healing. And the supernatural power of God in our hearts fills us up. And even though, humanly speaking, there's a deficit, in Christ I am complete. In Christ, I know that I'm unconditionally loved. You see, this idea of adoption goes all the way through the Bible. There's, there's this kind of language even the, in the Old Testament, Yahweh's relationship to his people Israel. Uh, for instance, it spoke of Abraham uh, being um, taken by God from one family and put into another. Yahweh, the God of heaven, this is out of Genesis 24 took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. Here's a new land. I'm going to make you a new people. Israel's redemption from Egypt is framed in adoptive language. From bondage to freedom, Exodus 6. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will take you as my people. I will adopt you. And I will be your God. See, Galatians 4 points out the adoption into God's family places us in a special relationship with God. And, well, we are called his children. 
So he places us in this intimate position. It's not because of our merit. It's not because now after we come to Christ, we've had some spiritual experience. Or because we followed this, you know, certain program or steps or because we're in the right Christian denomination. But this is because of God's initiative and because I have it, my salvation, the Holy Spirit of God, who places me as a son, as a daughter, as a child of God. And if you notice how Galatians 4 is written, you see that this is all done by God's sovereign plan. It says that God sent his son, that God is the one who redeems, that God is the one who adopts, that God is the one who sent his spirit. God is the one who puts us in a position as sons and daughters and his children. And what we enjoy in our relationship with God is simply because of the sovereign grace of God in our lives. And not because God said, boy, you got the right look. That's the kind of look I'm looking for. You're just the right weight. You know, you're pretty cool. I could really use you in the church. Or, you know, that money you make, we could use that in the kingdom. That position, none of those things are the reason that God puts us into his fold. We didn't earn it. It's because of God's sovereign grace in our lives. Intimacy with God is something granted to every Christian because they are in Christ. See, to have the spirit and to enjoy the the sonship, the intimacy with God, the same thing. And when do we get the spirit? We get the spirit when we came to Christ. To view adoption and reception of the spirit in two different stages is to tear apart this wonderful spirit-son connection interwoven here in Galatians. You are given everything you need in Christ at salvation to where I can enjoy this relationship. And I go around searching for other uh, experiences, other things that I have to have. It's a slap in the face of what God has done on the cross for us. We are in the Son. And now we become members of the family of God when we come to Christ, and I can enjoy all the privileges. And verse 7 is, it doesn't end there. Now I'm an heir. I have all this inheritance because I'm in Christ. There's spiritual blessings that go beyond even the grave. I've already touched on it. This Abba term is a a special term of of closeness, of, of intimacy. Papa or Daddy is really what it would be in our vernacular. The Spirit of God offers to every believer this subjective ministry to reassure us that we can indeed approach God with, with confidence and, and, a, and, a, and a boldness. And that's not to take advantage, just because, you know, there's safety there. Janet and I, we can speak to each other. See, this is why marriage can be a tricky thing, because we can hurt each other more than anybody on the face of the earth, but we can also say things to one another we wouldn't say to anybody else on the face of the earth, and it draws our hearts together. Because there's a, 
there's a, there's a relationship there of intimacy that we're to enjoy. And God, I want to suggest, through the Spirit of God, wants to reassure you, wants to let you know, I love you. I have your picture in my wallet, is what God is saying. And I get it out just to let you know how much you mean to me. Wouldn't you like to see God's wallet? That's a big honker. (laughs) See, when you're hurting and you feel like God has left you, the Spirit of God whispers. He's never left. When, When you run from him... When you've been hurt and you feel like God has forgotten about the Spirit of God reminds you how much he dearly loves you. And you know what? He may even put some things in our path to remind us. He may even give us loving discipline, which is really protection, that he's there. About 20 years ago, our family took a vacation out east, and we visited Monticello, the home of Thomas Jefferson. One of the most intriguing parts for me was to see the large hole that they had dug in the ground uh, during that time for an ice house. And, of course, before uh, refrigerators, these ice houses were built to keep food and everything cold. They would take uh, large blocks of ice, either from a stream or a lake. They would place it in the large hole, and they would throw sawdust over it to preserve the ice and then use it as a cooler. And some things could go throughout the summer in this ice house. Well, there's a true story of a man who lost a very expensive watch in one of these ice houses. And he searched diligently for it, but he couldn't find it. And so a young boy who heard about this fruitless search slipped into the ice house and he closed the door behind him And a little time later, he emerged with the watch in hand. And people were amazed, how in the world did you find that thing? And he said, I laid down in the sawdust. I kept very still. And soon I could hear the watch ticking. See, we have to close the door sometimes to the outside world. We have to hide away in Christ when the hurts, the slights, either perceived or real, invade our hearts. And we have to listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit who reminds us, you, my friend, are an adopted child of God. Come near, sup at this table, enjoy this fellowship. Why? There's no other explanation other than that God has paved the way for you to have it. His sovereign grace. Can we not rest in him and enjoy that we are his adopted children. There's no greater picture of God's willingness to take us in 
than adoption. Let's pray.